Welcome to What I Love About Sex, where some incredible guests and I, Steph Kanowski, will be bringing you the tools for improving your sex life with topics such as sex issues with your partner, sexual self-confidence, premature ejaculation, sexual shame, masturbation, sharing your fetishes, orgasmic pleasure, and more. Sex is still so taboo, and I personally believe that by improving our understanding and communication skills around sex, we can enhance our own self-pleasure as well as deepening our long-term romantic relationships. So listen in, try to stay open-minded, and let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode on what I love about sex. I really appreciate all of the ratings and reviews you guys are giving me for this show. It means a lot. I'm so happy you have so many takeaways. Um, I've just been hearing really great feedback, so I appreciate that. I appreciate you listening and actually using the information in your lives. That is fucking awesome. So today, I want to talk about why couples stop having sex. And this often happens, right? Most couples fall out of frequency when it comes to sex. And it's this this frustration, especially for one person, right? Sometimes for both, for the couple as a whole, they're both frustrated and they don't know what led them away from sex or why they're not having it so much. And they're actually confused and they want to get back, but now it's become this awkward thing. So it's either that situation or it's one person is under-delivering when it comes to sexual frequency um, and another is has an extremely high libido and can't seem, to, can't seem to get what they want or get their needs met. And what's interesting is I'm reading this book currently called Sizzling Sex for Life. It's by Michael Castleman. And he said, he makes an interesting point. He says in this book that Usually the one, um, usually the person who wants sex more and isn't getting it can feel like the one who's power, powerless in the relationship sexually. And that's not necessarily true because they did, apparently they did studies where sex therapists asked the couple together, who do you think is in sexual power in your relationship? The more sexually powerful one and, or just in sexual power. And the, both of them thought that the other person was more in sexual power. And that meant that the person who even had no libido and wasn't having sex felt a constant pressure and a constant unworthiness of I'm not giving enough and I can't, I can't even have a moment to myself or have a certain length of time for myself to understand my own arousal and my own libido. And the person who had the high libido and always wanted sex, but was always rejected felt, you know, I just feel like I'm always putting my sex life in the in your hands because you're the only one, you know, obviously you can give it to me and I'm being rejected. So it was interesting to see how both of them thought the other had more power in the relationship sexually. And it goes to show we don't, you know, it's, it's not often to see the other side, the other person's perspective when we're hit with something that's so traumatic to us or so frustrating for us. 
when we're so frustrated, it's hard to even see how something from the other end makes sense. Right. So I just thought that was a really powerful insight. So today I want to go through, there's actually a chapter in this book that I'm going to use this list of why the hot and heavy period ends. And I'm just going to expand upon each thing with um, personal examples from clients I've worked with, or just my perspective based on um, the list from this book, Sizzling Sex for Life by Michael Castleman. So what, what he says is the hot and heavy period ends for many reasons. And number one is routine. So new love releases dopamine, right? The neurotransmitter of erotic heat and frequency. But over time, life becomes routine, sex becomes routine. And what happens with routine? It gets boring, right? It gets monotonous. We tend to start prioritizing certain things. And if it doesn't seem essential to our daily life, we stop prioritizing it and we stick to the routines that we feel make maybe more tangible progress or things we notice more in ourselves. Um, the routine throws us off from the importance of our, our partner's needs because, you know, we both have our daily routines. So it just, you get caught in this, in this routine, you lose the dopamine factor of the excitement around sex, which usually lasts like six months to two years is like that really exciting phase. And then for most people after that two year mark, it starts to dial down and the routine kicks in. Another, a second point he mentions is familiar, familiarity. Guys, I can't say this word for shit. Like this is the one word I can never say, uh, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> When sex becomes very familiar and you get used to your partner, you get used to how the way you do it, you get used to how the way you talk about it, um, and it, it, you start having fantasies outside of it, right, outside of your partner, but, but reality sets in and it's just, it's super familiar, and familiar isn't always the sexiest thing. It's not always a turn on, right? And sometimes when it comes to sex, we expect it to be sexy. We expect to have to be in the mood and to feel sexy and feel desire before going into it. When really that's not necessary in order to keep frequency and keep keep um, a relationship strong sexually. You know, one person most of the time is probably not going to be in the mood but it's that prioritization and understanding that over time, it's going to be really impactful for the relationship. So what's interesting is that Esther Perel, who's a, a psychologist around erotic desire, like she specializes and focuses in on erotic desire. She says that in a relationship, you need to have the familiar and also the unfamiliar, because that's what creates the desire, is that unfamiliar. Um, because it's like the mystery that turns us on, right? But the familiar makes us feel safe and comfortable. But the mystery makes us intrigued. 
and it actually makes us desire. So you, you sort of need both. And that's what's so, that's what throws us off erotically is the fact that we need both of these things. We need to feel sexually sh- safe. And we also need to feel like we're trying to figure someone out. But when you're with them for so long, you feel like you have figured them out. Oops. You feel like you have figured them out. And it just, like I said, becomes becomes boring. And then you wonder, okay, is something is something wrong? Um, I feel like I know them. Like, I feel like they should, you know, we should have a great sex life. But that's why it's important to have your life together, your life as a team, and also your separate individuality life, where maybe you have at least one hobby that your partner doesn't have or doesn't share an interest in. And I was telling a client this yesterday because he was like, he just started dating again and he's in his fifties and he was saying like, oh, well, I don't want to share this thing about me, this hobby. It's such a weird hobby. Nobody else has it. You know, it'd just be weird to share it. And I was like, are you passionate about it? He's like, oh, I'm super passionate about it. And he got so passionate and he had this huge smile on his face and he was explaining it because I asked him to like explain a little about it. And I was like, see, that's what women want to see. Like women don't want what everybody talks about. And they also don't want to relate to everything you have to say. You know, and this goes for married couples too, or couples who have been together. You know, because if you're just always talking about what someone always knows and expects to come out of your mouth, like, you know, I mean, that's that's good. It's good to have mutual interests and to connect on things, of course, but it can also be really cool to learn from each other, right? And that's what makes a great team too, is the fact that you can learn and you're, you know that your partner has things they can feel confident in without you having to play a part in that. And that's sexy. So as my client was like telling me all about this, I was like, all right, that's like, that's part of your, your dating move for this week is to, when you're on your next two dates this week, like, I want you to talk about this stuff. I want you to talk about your hobbies that you, that you feel are dumb or that no one would relate to, because it's not about, it's not about explaining the hobby. It's about the excitement on your face and the passion you have when you share it. And that intrigues people and that turns people on and gets them excited to want to be around you. Um, So I just thought that was a really cool example. Another point is responsibilities. So couples will stop having sex because of responsibilities and, you know, daily life happens. Family, friends, bills, chores, hassles. You know, um, and another client of mine has been hit with just a huge stressful situation um, when it comes to his his work. And he just really got fucked over in the worst way. Like it's it sucked, but he he was all stressed about it and is still carrying some stress. And it was just the the responsibilities he had to deal with throughout that process were very like emotionally heavy, but he was relating that stress to, oh, I can't have sex, you know, because I'm just too stressed. I can't have sex. And he would tell me, oh, well, I'm still, I'm still giving her hugs and stuff. Like, 
you still do this. And he said something else that was kind of like, um, not platonic, but more like something a couple would do that's just not, um, not flirtatious, not sexual in any way. And I said, all right, we can't, like, we got to keep the flame lit because this is how couples fall out of frequent sex, right? They start associating sex to, oh, when I'm stressed, I can't have sex or I shouldn't have sex. And they, they therefore, you know, create that association and use it every time they're stressed. We're always going to be stressed about something, right? So we can't really use, and I understand if you're like massively stressed and there's a ton on your mind and your body's going through shit. Yeah. Take a little break, communicate with your partner, why you're feeling that way and what, how long of a break you need so that you can get back on track in an appropriate time and keep that communication clear with your partner. But I told him, I was like, I, you know, even if you're stressed, like we want to think about the intention for why you're having sex. You know, it's not always just to get off. You know, sometimes it's just to show your partner you're still sexually attracted to them and you're sexually connected. And I said, tonight, even if it's not penetration, what's something you can do that's sensual that you can initiate with her? And you can even tell her, hey, I'm not, I'm not ready for sex tonight, but hey, let's go do this really quick. And I just gave him some ideas to keep the flame lit so that she's not curious as to why it's been, you know, a couple of weeks and normally it's, you know, a couple times a week or whatever. So I think that's really important when it comes to, when it comes to certain stressors in order to prioritize something and keep something in priority, we have to continue it regardless of what we're going through, regardless of whether or not we're in the mood, regardless of whether or not we're tired. There are certain things we just have to continue doing because they're good for us and they're good for our relationship. And we know at the end of the day, they're going to benefit our lives. You know, it's kind of like the gym. Like if I never went to the gym, because like if every time I was tired, I use that as an excuse to not go to the gym, I would never fucking go to the gym because I usually wait too long. I either go to the gym super early where I am still kind of tired or I go to the gym. No, that's not true. I'm usually wide awake in the morning. But at the end of the day, that's what I've been doing recently. Like if I go to the gym at the end of the day, I'm always tired. Like I'm never in, I'm never usually in the mood to go, but I know I have to go and it's just ingrained in me and it's a priority. Right. So it's like if you have another priority in your life like that, relate it back to sex. And that's how we keep sex a priority and also not having one intention for sex because sex can give us many different things. Right. So we can use sex to. To de-stress our body, we can we can have sex to um, increase our connection with our partner. We can have sex to practice certain skills or feel more confident as a lover. Like we can have sex to um, have a new experience, create some mystery. So setting yourself up for multiple intentions can also help to make sex feel like it should be a priority. Okay. So another point why couples stop having sex is complacency. 
So people will take their relationships for, for granted and the flirting stops, right? The playfulness stops. And when you stop flirting and when you stop having fun, it's a lot harder to all of a sudden have sex. And that's when the awkward, I mean, based on my experience working with clients, that's when the awkward phase kicks in of, hey, you want to have sex tonight? Like becomes this awkward initiation where it's just like so, eh, you want to have sex? And I get that that happens, like, and that's normal to happen once you have kids and once you're super busy and whatnot. But when that, when that stops working, that type of initiation, because it's just so bland and there's no, there's no flirting behind it. Um, sex often is completely infrequent. Like it's so sporadic. And so be careful. And I was telling the last client I just mentioned, like be aware of what stage you're at when it comes to your sex life. Because just as my client said, like, oh, it's all right. I still like, I still give her hugs here and there. Like that's how it slows, that's how you slowly derail from a frequent sex life because then it turns into hugs and then it turns into like a peck on the lips instead of a little, a little makeout or a longer kiss, you know, and then you stop having longer kisses because you get so used to the peck and then you can't look each other in the eyes and then you can't talk about sex or have conversations around it because that's weird. Like when do you ever talk about sex, you know, and then it's slowly, slowly becomes harder and harder to have more sex and communicate around it because you're simply not doing it. Um, another client of mine. So I, so I told that client, I was like, so be aware of like what direction you're heading in by thinking that a hug is enough to keep your sexual flame alive. Because for her, you know, she's a little, she's a little like confused and concerned, which is totally normal. Um, so, so yeah. That is, that is important to know like what stage you're at. And if you are in the place where you just cannot have intercourse because you are just hyper stressed and it's just not the right time, I totally respect that, but communicate it and then have a time for yourself to get back on track with your partner. Um, what I was going to say um, was another client of mine just started having more sex related conversations with his wife after a while of them just never talking about it. And I'm having him slowly initiate these conversations so that he's comfortable and she's comfortable and it's not super awkward just all of a sudden talking about sex all the time. But he's doing a really great job. And and he's getting used to asking her questions sexually to kind of open her up and have her more comfortable with the topic because he's not telling her he wants certain things. He's going in asking questions about what she likes and what she liked when they recently had it and what she loves talking to him most about. And, you know, they're not all sexually related, but just asking these more personal questions with your partner opens up the comfort, the comfort zone of intimacy. Again, if you haven't been there in a while, right? So this create, this opens the door to that, to being able to flirt again. If you feel like you can't flirt with your partner right now, it's because that door is shut. So how you open it is you start asking more questions to your partner to get yourself in this place of you trying to understand because you are trying to understand. So it's very genuine. 
You know, this is not to get more sex. This is not manipulation. This is, hey, I realize my I am lacking intimacy in my partnership and I can do something about it. So let me do that thing. That's what this is. I hate when people say it's manipulation to to emotionally connect with a woman in the hopes that your sex life will improve. <laughs> like, like, fuck that. Um, you have a responsibility as a partner to keep your partner, to keep your partnership alive and to be a team. And someone's got to initiate. And that's what I tell the guys I work with. I'm not, I tell them, you know, it's, it's not your job to initiate just because you're the man, but because I'm working with you, you know, she's not. Like you came to me in the hopes that you want to fix this. So you're going to be the first one to go in and do something. So just own that. Like, that's great. You're building your confidence. You're building your assertiveness. That's an awesome thing. Um, and I have female clients as well. And I do the same with them. I give them initiation steps. So it's not like, okay, wait for the guy to do this. No, it's all right. This is really important to you. All right, what are you going to do first to open up this conversation? How can you do that tonight? What would that look like? When are you going to tell me you did it? You know, it's like holding people accountable to making changes in their relationship so that they so that they get what what they want and what their partner essentially wants too. Right? Because if you're both together still, there's a reason for that. So why not just make it better while you're there? So I think it's really cool that my my client who's opened up more sexual conversations with his wife is seeing a lot of great results. Like she's sending him more flirty text messages. Um, they're just talking more in general. He feels a lot better when he gets off the phone with her. Um, they're feeling more connected. And it just took him initiating some more conversations, some different types of conversations. And it created this little spark, which is really cool. Um, and that's great. All right, so another one, and the final one I'll mention, uh, the final thing that stops couples from having sex are relationship problems, right? So this is a tough one because when resentment and anger develops in a, in a relationship, um, the sexual frequency usually declines and then the sex life suffers, right? And then... Now, both partners are either just never in the mood for each other or one is super resentful because they're never getting sex and the other one is either resentful because they always feel pressured for sex or the other one just doesn't care, doesn't seem to think it's a problem or just has like super low libido and doesn't want to address it. And I understand these are really tough situations to be in. For sure. This goes back to the previous point where it's like, all right, someone's got to initiate. You know, if both people are resentful and the conversations around sex and intimacy or just in general are just based on frustration or initiated with a feeling of underlying frustration behind the message, the other person's never going to open up. You know, and I was telling a new client this yesterday. I said like, all right, well, he has a really... He has a much higher libido. He wants a lot more sex than he's having in his relationship right now. And she, she doesn't, you know, and she's not saying no, but she'll have it, they'll have it occasionally, but it's nothing near where they used to have in terms of frequency. 
So I asked him, okay, what does it look like when you initiate conversations around this to solve this concern? The concern he's been dealing with for years. And he said, well, it looks like, it looks like this. You know, I say this and then, and then it kind of just ends. Um, I, he said, I say this, she seems to get frustrated and then the conversation just ends. And he said, that's the typical format. So I asked him, what is the underlying feeling that you have? Well, like what typically triggers you to go start this conversation with her? And he said, well, I'll be, I have a really stressful job. I'll be super stressed. And then I'll usually be frustrated that I'm, that I'm, that we're lacking sex in our relationship compared to where it was. And then I'll go bring it up to her. And I said, okay, so you're literally coming from this place of frustration and saying this to her when you're in a mood of frustration. He's like, yeah, when you put it that way, it's probably not the best time to mention it. And I said, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, but that's typically when we want to solve problems, right? Like when we feel like, oh my God, this is such a problem. I need to let this out. I need to tell them. That's when we typically want to just word vomit. But that's what we end up doing. We end up just word vomiting and we're not in this place of trying to understand our partner. And instead, we're in this place of just trying to tell our partner we're pissed off or we're frustrated or we're sexually starved. <laughs> starved. We're sexually starved. Right. And something that he said, he said, I usually tell her that I wish things were how they used to be. And then she gets frustrated with that. And I said, well, think about that. Like, think about those words and how hurtful those words can be. You're, you're saying, like, in those words, that message can often be perceived and most likely is perceived in this case as you don't accept me as I am right now. Or I'm not good enough for you right now. Or now I'm a wife. I mean, now I'm a mother of children and I'm not who I was, like, I don't look the same. I don't look like the same woman when we were having sex like that. You know, like that can relate to body image issues too for a woman. And I know I actually took this, um, yeah, I took this a little personal, but like I did personally relate to this because I remember, you know, my mom getting upset when my dad said that. Um, you know, I love how, th I miss how things used to be. And he would just say that, he would say that often. And I would get upset. Like, it wasn't about their sex life. It was about, um, it was about just in general. He was like, oh, I wish I could go back to the past. And it was just, he would constantly like tell stories from the past and then say that all the time. And it seemed like there was more of that than appreciating now. And that hurt all of us, you know? I know it hurt me too, because it was like, you know, you're never talking about what you love about life with me in it. <laughs> like, it's more about your past and like what you did when I wasn't even born yet. So we have to be, we have to look at different, different perspectives. Like if you say that, if you have a statement you often use to your lover in, in the hopes that you will have more sex or in hopes that you'll get more anything. Right. And if, if you're using a statement to persuade someone, I don't like using the word persuade, but to get a message across to someone that you're feeling, be very cautious of how that message can be perceived by a person who is a little touchy on this subject. 
right? It's not an everyday topic. It's this is sex. And even with everyday topics, it could be hurtful and come across hurtful, as I just mentioned. So when you think about it that way, and he, this was a realization for him. He's like, wow, I would have never thought that. And he had the right intention, right? He was trying to get his point across and he had a memory and he wanted to tell her, hey, here's what you could do. Like things that we used to do. Like I want to, like, I wish things were how they used to be. But to her, like, she's just not feeling appreciated or loved in the now. And that's what's going to get her on track for desire and for connection. Right? And then often at conversations, like, conversations usually end like that when people are having these sex conversations. And it's like, all right, where the fuck does that go now? <laughs> Nowhere. Super ineffective. Because there's no agreement there's no negotiation. There's no trying to understand each other. It's very one-sided. It's two people who are frustrated. And it's one person not asking questions to hear the person out. And it's one person. And it's the other person shutting down emotionally or getting defensive right away because, because of the one-sided message. So communication like that does not work. It does not open someone up to the idea. It, it, it closes them off even more. Tightens the seal even more. Because now it's this topic where whenever they bring it up, she feels the pain that she associates to the message and she shuts down immediately. So that's what happens so often when guys are trying to communicate messages around sex and their needs. They come from a place of frustration, aggravation, resentment, rejection, hurt, fear, and you come from that place, that means you're going to communicate from that place. And your messaging, your messaging, your words and your tone will be all fucked up. AKA, they won't get the result. They won't get the response you need for more clarity. And that's why it can be so frustrating having these conversations. And you can feel like, oh, this never works. This just doesn't work. I try talking to her about it. Okay, but the, if that's, if you try talking to her about it that same way again and again and again, like I said, you're tightening the seal. You're making it worse. You're not opening the door for communication flow. There are ways to understand your partner, but you have to ask the right questions and you have to come from the right mindset of trying to understand her perspective and genuinely wanting to understand her perspective because you love her and because you care about the relationship and you want to be a team. Okay, so really fucking interesting um and you have to think whatever situation you're in right now think of your choices right now because you can either leave this person you can remain in the current moment and stay aggravated or miserable with your sex life Or you can negotiate and have an effective conversation and figure this out with your partner. And negotiating doesn't mean, oh, if the person has low libido, you have to, you know, do what's best for them. No, like I said, you're both a team. You're both in the power seat of your sex lives. 
And if you have low libido and your partner wants sex, if your low if the low libido partner wants sex once a month and the high libido partner wants sex, I don't know, two times a week, you got to find somewhere in the middle so that you're both a little uncomfortable. Not so that you're uncomfortable, but so so that the result is in the favor of being a team and making a sacrifice for each other. You know, it's not to it's not to get your way and feel like the winner. And then the other one has to resent you because you you got your way. It's putting in the effort to say, "All right, I wish I didn't like I wouldn't have it this much, but because we're I want to keep our relationship, let's have sex every 10 days." You know, and that's not ideal for the person with the high libido, but okay, I'll take it. You know, it's better than once a month. Um, and it's not settling, but it's understanding your partner's doing this for you guys as a team. And I think that often is lost, that idea of, of being a team. And it becomes this, all right, well, how do I get my way? And how do I get my message? You get your message across and you get your way by understanding your partner's message and what they want. And then you find a way to make ends meet. And you meet each other in the middle. Right? So that it never feels like, oh, you always have that. I never have this. Right. So anyway, I hope this was impactful. I hope this helped you. And if you are not yet on my email list, um, get on it because every week I've been sending out sex related topic emails to help you guys out. They're very detailed. I'm getting some great feedback. So I appreciate all you guys who reach out after you read them every Saturday, you'll get a new email. So today's just went out. Um, if you want next week's email, which will be on sexual performance anxiety, then you're going to want to sign up. So I'll put the link below in the show notes to sign up for my weekly Saturday sex tips newsletter. And I hope to hear from you. All right, guys, that is it. Have an amazing morning, evening, or night, wherever you are in the world. And I'll talk to you soon. I hope this episode helped you. If it did, I would love for you to leave me an iTunes review. It would mean the world to me. You can also screenshot your favorite episodes and tag me on Instagram at Steph Ganowski. And before I go, remember, your sex life is as good as you make it out to be. Until next time.